Hello, this is Ken Owen, a former journalist and longtime fan of the man formerly known as Keith Partridge. You're listening to the David Cassidy Connections with your great host, Louise Poynton. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the David Cassidy Connections. Thank you for downloading this podcast. And if you have just found us, all previous episodes dating back to August 2020 can be found wherever you get your podcasts from. I am Louise Poynton, and today my guest is Dr. Quizler, who records covers of Partridge Family songs, as well as music by many other artists. He considers the Partridge Family garage as his happy place, and tells me how this all happened. Our conversation is peppered with sound bites of the covers he has recorded, but these and many more can be heard on his YouTube channel. Here is my conversation with a man who is also a self-confessed Doctor Who fan, Dr. Quizler. We are going to be talking today about compositions, arrangements, yeah? Okay. And why the earlier songs have been overlooked. Ah. Yeah. Tell me how and why this passion for covering Partridge Family songs happened. Well, I can only say that I was not an early adopter when the show first premiered. And mainly, I think that was probably because I um, was, you know, it's sort of like with Knight Rider. I was also not an early adopter of Knight Rider. And I can explain that one better. I, I didn't allow myself to watch Knight Rider because I was, I was concerned that I, would be, that I would be envious of that car that was just so cool. <laughs> Eventually, I allowed myself to start watching it, and it was fun on a level that went beyond thinking the car was cool, because the car was a character on the show, and it was fun watching all the interactions between, you know, the guy kind of superhero, played by Hasselhoff, and the car superhero, you know, played by a combination of actual cars, and William Daniels with that amazing voice, you know, voice over voice for being Kit, you know? Um, so it sort of was like that with the Partridge family too. Yes, I'm definitely coming back to that. In that when the show started, there was a promo that Dave Madden did where he said, you know, we're, we're doing this new show about this, this fun, hip, cool musical family. So I was afraid as a little kid who was just learning, uh, things like, Okay, counting the alphabet, numbers, words, math, and piano, that I was going to be envious of all this fun these music kids were having on that show. I allowed myself to watch the show at some point after the first few episodes, and it was just fun. There are all kinds of fun that a TV show can be, and sometimes the fun is look look at how fashionable we are, look at how you know, wealthy and well-to-do we are. And the Partridge Family show was not like that. I mean, whether their real lives were like that or not is different, but the show itself was just fun. They were a nice, normal, middle-class family with a single parent who was a, a widow, and there were these kids, you know? And they were, as, as characters extraordinarily musically talented and they had these comic misadventures which were fun to follow 
And then the show had these song breaks because they were a band. So they'd go out to their garage. I know you guys say garage. I like saying that too. Is it okay <laughs> if I say garage? Yes, you can say garage. Okay, or garage, even better. Garage, garage is what we say with this emphasis on the latter syllable. Garage is what I've, what I've heard a lot of Brits say, you know, in various yes. television <laughs> projects. <laughs> and, you're, and you're saying garage, which is even further away from garage. <laughs> you know, this garage of theirs, this garage, <laughs> was the scene of a lot of fun stuff happening, you know? A lot of behind-the-scenes music stuff where they're practicing these songs and whatnot. It, it moved the story of this family along. Here we are having this stuff going on, and now here we are working on this song. Here we are playing through this song that I just wrote. In the mythos of the show, he was the songwriter for practically every song they did, which, of course, you know, IRL was anything but the truth. Mostly, like, uh, Wes Farrell, Tony Romeo, and whatever partners they could drag in from the, you know, various corners of, of music. Most notably to me, Money Money. Money Money was one. Well, they sing through the song... And this is the one time Lori isn't smiling as she's singing because she disapproves of the message that the, that the song sends. The whole time they're singing, she's like, and then after, after they get through running it through, perfectly, by the way, on the first try, <laughs> yes. um, she tells him, you know, that she doesn't really approve of this this message of materialism as a as a means of wooing a prospective date. So there was this there was this discussion and it all took place still in the garage. Did you find that the garage was a happy place for you? <laughs> yeah, oh I've I've been known I've been known to refer to the Partridge family garage as as my happy place. Yes, indeed. Oh, yeah. The episode where Bobby Conway, played by Bobby Sherman, he breaks into the garage and he makes use of all their stuff to put together this demo of his song that he's been working on that's not really a song yet because he doesn't have words for it. So he's just got the instrumental stuff. Right? And it sounds great. You know, because apparently he plays every instrument they have, and he's very familiar with, you know, the various recording, you know, multi-track techniques of the, mm. of the time. The thing is, I mess around here with music on a, on a really weird mythical level. I kind of like to think of myself as, uh, as being virtually, you know, in that same position as Bobby Conway. Well, you know, I'm, I've broken into the partridge's garage and i'm messing around with their 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 equipment their stuff and i'm laying down tracks you know getting ready to put this demo together etc you know it's fun it's fun to look at it that way even even if it's not a partridge song or or you know david cassidy song per se i also like their living room their living room had a piano that hardly ever got touched on the show but still there was potential there (laughs) do you consider the Partridge family music underrated, underappreciated, outside of the fan base. Oh, yes, absolutely. No, no, it, it, it's 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 um it's kind of relegated to a sort of a bubblegum status. 
which is an easy thing to an easy way to dismiss music without without actually delving into it the people who who look at it that way or who look down at it in that way i don't think they realize what they're missing and i think they're missing a lot every time i mess around with one of their songs i think it has been every time i discover something that i that i didn't realize was there just from listening to it is that from the point of view of the arrangements or the way the song was written or maybe even the way in which david delivered the lyrics all three of those things are in play where um there was something absolutely magical about that combination of their arrangements you know their their songs that they would pick um and david is the lead guy i i i can't believe to this day how they stumbled into into such a gold mine they could have picked anybody who looked good as a kind of passable hippie singer type <laughs> but they mm. they picked mm. that one guy who just happened to have that voice and that performing manner about him um mm. yeah i i guess that's probably what they saw they saw well he looks good in what we imagine the role to be, he'd probably make a good Keith Partridge. He definitely looks the part, and I guess two or three episodes in, they were patting themselves on the back for, you know, having found the right guy, and then later, it turns out he's got this voice. <laughs> yeah. And what a voice. Where do you rate his voice? Judging from what they actually had him doing, I think there might have been a bit of a limit. Like, he couldn't go, like, crazy high or, like, crazy low. But, you know, definitely a passable high tenor range. Definitely a passable high baritone range. I think we're, we're, we can pretty reasonably say uh, he attempted to plug himself into things that, were, that, that didn't really fit his voice type. And it felt like an ill fit. But if he had somebody in his corner who could write specifically for him and manage him, yeah, he needed mm-hmm. he needed somehow to be able to break out of it and he didn't really have didn't he never really found the right vehicle. That's a shame. I mean, in a way it, it's it's a version of what happens with a child star trying to um trying to rebrand themselves but still stuck with looking like the child star they had been. Your YouTube channel is just packed with these wonderful covers. I mean, you have done an exceptional job with these Aww. classic songs. Thank you. you. Really have. Thank you very much. Um, when you did your cover of Together, Having a Ball. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love that. What does that song mean to you? There were a lot of um, songs and artists, things from the radio and from television that uh, found their way into that soundtrack of mine. But the Partridge family was, was a really big factor as well. Maybe because of it being so early in my childhood. What I normally do when I post these things is I as I as I go I allow myself to ramble in the um in the descriptions. So I think I wrote a I think I wrote a pretty good ramble about that. Basically, um what I did or or how I saw it was I was thinking about how we were um we were all quarantining. This was two years ago, I guess, everybody was like quarantined away from everybody else. So I was thinking about how at some point it'd be nice for us all to be together again. So there's that. Also, 
that was the theme song of the show for the first few episodes. And then they mm-hmm. came up with When We're Singing, which, be, which later became Come On, Get Happy. And in the first, I think it was the first episode where they were struck with stage fright. They were singing their first big gig. And Shirley was like, <laughs> the mother hen, the mother partridge, you know. All right, come on, let's 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 not let's not worry about this. Let's just calm down. Let's zen out. Let's close our eyes. Let's make like we're back in the garage having fun. <laughs> and then they started just just kind of working their way through the song. And then a few bars in, they're opening their eyes and they're okay with you know being surrounded by lights and mics and audience and all that. You know, I, I associate the song with that part of the show, that, that um, you know, the early, the early few episodes of the show. Everybody's going places, doing things. Look at all the smiling faces, seeing having a ball, doing their number, having a ball, getting it all together, together, together. I'd like to highlight a couple of the um, earlier videos which featured miming. But I think it's probably a good idea to explain what miming was all about because people are going to see that you know, on these earlier videos like Umbrella Man and Summer Days that there's miming going on. What's up with that is I actually got the idea from the Partridge, the Partridge Family playbook where, where that show and many other shows like you know The Monkees and American Bandstand featured pre-recorded music and simulated live performances. I decided early on I, I wanted more happening in my videos than just basic piano controller stuff for every part. So uh, I decided to do what, what, what these other these shows do, like the Partridge Family, and mime. But my twist on miming was I wanted to use air instruments Instead of doing what would have been easy, just go to a pawn shop and buy an old bass and mime bass playing on an old bass. To me, that would have felt inauthentic. I didn't play bass or guitar. I studied piano, a few woodwind instruments, and I played drums a lot as a kid. I got pretty good at miming drums accurately because I could just say, okay, the snare's here, the hi-hat's here, the cymbal's here. At a certain point, miming felt silly. And it was a lot of work to try and line up the part with what I had done on the actual track. So it occurred to me that I could just buy different types of MIDI controllers for different types of instruments. Use those, you know, for each part. So, you know, drum pad controller for drumming, guitar controller for bass and guitar, that sort of thing. Wind controller for flute and other wind parts. And it's actually a lot less work. So the later videos you'll see took a lot less work and are easier to sync. I class the non-David Cassidy songs and the David Cassidy songs differently. I think far and away, without even having to think about it, I think I'll Meet You Halfway is like my, my favorite DCPF song, David Cassidy, Partridge Family song. Mm-hmm. So simple, so... 
elegant and yeah. it's got it's got this nice pure message to it and the construction of the song is just four four plain old stuff and good old C major and in the video Susan Day as Laurie I didn't have a crush on her when I was a kid because I was about um, Chris's age mm. Forrester you interviewed him yeah Brian Brian Forrester Brian Forrester right 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 yes I was and yes. I guess you could say I am <laughs> Mr. Forrester's age <laughs> when that song came out you know, I wasn't necessarily thinking, oh, she looks so lovely playing the piano. Since then, I've been like, man, she really looks cute playing the piano. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and But now I'm too old for her. I'm too old for her at that age. <laughs> We've been traveling in circles such a long, long time. Try to say hello. Oh, oh. we could just land inside. Someone that I'd like to get to know. I'll meet you halfway. That's better than no way. What do you think your songs bring to the Partridge family legacy? What does my stuff, my Where, covers what? of their songs, yeah. bring to their legacy? Yeah. Well, yes. I don't know. I kind of do them just for fun, and I kind of... I mean, those and, and all the other ones as well, the non-Partridge family ones. Yeah. And sometimes... And, and usually it's an expression of something that needs to come out. What, I, what I've noticed, as far as the audience on the channel, is there do seem to be quite a contingent of Partridge family fans who um, who tune in and who comment on the on the songs. And there also seem to be some people who are maybe new to the songs, you know, my little covers, I guess, introduce them to the, to the songs, you know, in a way. But, but mostly it's like, man, I like that song. You know, they don't do songs anymore like that. Sometimes people say that. Or, yeah. man, I really like that song. I wish these songs got more attention, you know. Thanks for doing it, bro, or that sort of thing. They'll say things like that. Um, do you do you like the stories attached to the songs? Because all the songs relate to a storyline in yeah, absolutely in, in the episodes. Absolutely, does that encourage you to record a cover to do a cover because of the storyline attached to it? Okay, so here's the thing. There's more to it. There's more to it than that. <laughs> I know reporters love to hear. There's more to it, but it's true. It's like good. Um, there's a challenge with each song. Every song, including whether or not it's a PF song, there's a feeling of being ready for the challenge. <clears throat> so the one that comes to my mind right now is Let the Good Times In. Something about that. So I, I, I will watch a video sometimes of the part of the show where they did where they did a song, like the thing leading up to it, and then the song and the thing coming out after it. The videos of the songs as they're edited for like YouTube are interesting in themselves. Yeah. So I think this was the one where where they where they had this member Cynthia who couldn't who who was sick or something and who couldn't fit, help them with their recording, and so the mother yeah. filled in. Yeah, yeah. And Cynthia was never cast and was never mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> after that <laughs> so they they were they were gonna do the song 
Chris had a baseball glove and was played by Jeremy... Gelbox. Gelbox. Yes. Keith chided him to take his baseball glove glove off and to hit play while he was over there. And then they got into the song. And of course, <laughs> from a standing start, boom, everything was there. <laughs> Nothing so bad that it can't be a changing, like rearranging life on a shelf. Life on a shelf. You're feeling sadness and out of fun, cause you're having none all alone by yourself. Look through the tears that fill your eyes, yeah. And just throw off your troubles and kind of good fiction i've been in some bands since then and and it's been a while now so i i kind of know it doesn't it doesn't usually go so smoothly in like a rehearsal or a taping um and certainly your first take isn't is almost never like the take (laughs) something happens <laughs> something about that moment when they were doing that when they were getting ready to record that song sounds grandiose from of me to say it spoke to me but i guess it did in a way it's like hmm that's a pretty cool moment and it's it's like mm-hmm. it it's, it was almost like i like i was craving a moment like that myself so you know what let's do that song <laughs> that was fun it, it was yeah. It was fun doing that song and maybe feeling a little bit of that. Um, and feeling as though you were part of the band because that connection that we all had when we saw the first episodes, yeah, that stayed with us. Right around the time they introduced Little Ricky as the curious neighbor kid who would sing songs with them during their rehearsals, Little Kid Me started fantas- fantasizing about wandering around my neighborhood and happening upon their garage during a rehearsal and maybe auditioning for them with one of their songs, one of their own songs, and being allowed to join their act. Later as an adult, I saw in one of the movies about the show that Bernie Slade had actually considered looking for a black kid to bring onto the show to help the falling ratings. Uh, Of course, nowadays, Anybody wondering if I currently fantasize about the show's mythos need only watch my Together Having a Ball video where I mimic their opening credits and assign my band members names like Heath, Manny, and Corey. Since learning that, uh, that Mr. Slade was actually looking, well, thinking about bringing in a black kid, and since at the time I was a black kid, watching the show, enjoying it, and fantasizing about joining the act it's probably a worthwhile question how would i have felt if bernie slade had approached me i'm pretty sure i would have i would have responded with a resounding yes to whether or not i you know i'd wanted to join the show assuming you know that was that was presented to me i can't say whether my parents would have would have signed off on it and actually allowed me to do it it probably wouldn't have happened even if he had come to me and, and 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 ask me to join. Also, I I I wonder if actually joining the show would have been as fun or as enjoyable as fulfilling as 
joining the band in the mythos of the show. You know what I mean? Like being a character loosely based on myself, but basically stepping into the storybook and not having to deal with any of the um, part and parcel of actually producing a show. Although we didn't know at the time that it was the Wrecking Crew. Oh yeah, what was really being going the musicians on? Musicians behind it, right? But as as you grew up and you discovered that the Wrecking Crew and Ron Hickling and and his his guys were doing the vocals, did that give you a deeper appreciation of the music? That's a trick question. That feels like a trick question, but no. Well, I mean, maybe not intended to be. No. Here's the thing: I was a little kid. <laughs> six years old so i was learning to read i i hadn't mastered it yet but you know what my mom was very very diligent in making sure that when that that i was ready for kindergarten when it started and so she had me reading those cat in the hat books things beyond that like news some newspaper articles and so by the Mm -hmm. time kindergarten came around i was i was ready to, I was ready for more. I was ready to read. When the show was on, when the show aired, I was in like first grade. And I knew enough to recognize the name Wurlitzer as like a big piano and organ type name. There it was. Ooh, Wurlitzer. And I also saw there was something, um, there was a sentence that was like performances were augmented by other performers. So you have to imagine me going to my mom. Hey, mom, what does augmented mean? (laughs) You know? And then she tells me, you know, well, something's added. You know? And for a while there, I'm like, well, what does that mean? After a while, just messing around with it, because I'm pretty big at overthinking stuff, I was able to piece together. It was sort of like with the, the, the Wizard of Oz. You know, there was a man behind a curtain controlling everything. So the later, like... When I was when I was um, getting ready to cover, I'll meet you halfway. I, I looked at the video from from the show when they were performing it, and when Laurie Susan Day was going on the piano, you could see that she was just playing random notes. It was like bam 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 like this where it wouldn't possibly ever sound like so that became my mission for that video i'm going to make sure people will see how that little <laughs> how that little lick is played <laughs> if you watch my video of it you actually see the yes. the the notes being played so yeah every every one of those songs of theirs i think it's fair to say speak to me in a way and um, when it comes to having an urge to do a video of a certain song, to cover a certain song, um, it's kind of like, you know, this one feels right for now. The interesting thing about the Partridge family is it took place during a time of political upheaval. Not that it, not that, that ever made it into an episode, although Laurie got to be a hippie every so often. She got to be a little bit of a radical sympathizer. You know, the main theme was... We're a happy, cool, fun family who hang out together and who don't get on each other's nerves too much, except when we do, <laughs> which, is, which yeah. did happen, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yes. So. And did you have a happy family life growing up? Was that a mirror 
of your young years growing up? I'm sure like everybody's, my childhood and family life had their ups and downs, but nothing stands out as being particularly happy or unhappy about it. My father was a local jazz musician who passed down music genes and high expectations to me as the only kid who inherited an understanding of and an interest in music. He was a sax player and a stern disciplinarian, somewhere along the spectrum between the hip, cool jazzer dad in the new Wonder Years show, played by Dulé Hill, and William Powell's title character in Life with Father. My much older sister was a rebel, and my mom was the family peacemaker. Things could get a little turbulent around the house, and so there was definitely a need for a family peacemaker, and that was my mom's function are one of the things, the many things she did to uh, keep our family unit stable. So as far as shows, I can list a litany of shows that I watched back then, which were fun little escapes, many of which I picked up a lot of useful pop culture knowledge from, like My Favorite Martian, Mr. Ed, Dennis the Menace, and of course, The Brady Bunch. What stood out for me about shows like I Love Lucy, The Partridge Partridge Family, uh, The Electric Company, and the Lawrence Welk show, as examples, at the time, was the way that they all made music seem easy, fun, and just part of life. Kind of like how swimming and flying are part of a duck's life. By contrast, my real-life experience with music at age six consisted of being yelled at in piano lessons, being kicked out of rooms with pianos in them when trying to practice for my piano lessons, at times being compared, perhaps unfairly, with um, the likes of Art Tatum and Oscar Peterson while still practicing the first two or three Hannon exercises <laughs> and, you know, C major scales and whatnot, uh, interspersed with periods of actual fun messing around with songs that I heard. In the States, we're going through a big period of of um, cultural upheaval a few years ago. And that was what got me um, kind of inspired. I don't know how I happened to see it, but I I happened to see the video of the lawnmower chase scene where Danny is running running away from these gangsters as That'll Be The Day is playing. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah, and, um, yeah. Well, the song just jumped out at me. You know, the message in the song, you know, we should be together like the grass and the trees, like the uh, sheep and the meadow, et cetera. We go together like the words in the music, the honey and the bees. I mean, there was just something so altruistic in that message. And I was like, that would be really nice. That would be really nice for us right now. Us here in the states if we could find a uh, somewhere a happy medium between these crazy extremes that was what inspired me to do that'll be the the day then yeah. we should be together like the sand and the sea like the rocks in the sunshine go together with the grass on the summer ground the leaves on the tree like the sheep in the meadow go together like the and the music, the honey and the bee, like the work and the play. Well, that'll be the day. That'll be the day. Oh, that'll be the day. That'll be the 
of the time when I do these things, I really, really wish I could incorporate, <laughs> you know, aspects of 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 the show that came with it, like the sight gags in that lawnmower scene, or the the uh, the noisy raisin lady during um, e- Echo Valley two six eight zero nine. Yeah, I was going to come on to Echo Valley because, as you know, that was written by Rupert Holmes. Yeah. I thought your your cover was excellent. Thank you. I, I really did. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to hear that. That was a whole different ballgame when it came to inspiration because I just, I just love that scene. But yeah, it was such a cool song too. And it's all in the song. Yeah, I wish I'd called that number. Guy, uh, the guy was a genius. Cassidy, Mr. Cassidy, you know, of course, delivered it beautifully, including the speaking part. And he's in there, you know, hello, give me Echo, Echo Valley 26809. And he's got this desperation in his speaking voice, you know, and the mm-hmm. finality when the switchboard operator tells him no dice. Sorry, pal. <laughs> and I, I don't have the acting thing. I'm so bad, you know, because um, I get the grins. I tend to grin. I didn't have a gal. I shouldn't say this, mm-hmm. but, you know, unveiling my secrets, but I didn't have a gal. I didn't have like a gal to cast as the switchboard operator and i really needed somebody who could who could sound authoritative and maybe a little mean <laughs> you know <laughs> but i didn't have somebody to do that so i tried i tried something out of desperation i did it i did yeah. it and i, I and i used yeah. a kind of a maxwell smart voice talk like this most of the time would you believe (laughs) you know like that i answered my um my singer guy my 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 lead singer guy is heath my bass player guy is manny my my piano guy my keyboard guy he's um cory my drummer my drummer guy is bliss (laughs) i don't have a tambourine player but i have a pinch hitter who plays flute sometimes and other things (laughs) and i call him casey I love it. So, and then I go in there and I, I, you know, I kick that thing an octave up, you know, yeah, about an octave yeah. and a half up, so it sounds like it's a gal. I've got to call that number one more time, cause I've just got to know if you're still That's what I did. It's great. Oh, it's clever. It's clever stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Secrets of Dr. T- Whistler. T- tell me about your cover of I Think I Love You. When I started doing these covers of their songs, I started from the least intimidating one. Like, I, I, I compiled a list. Here are, the, here are all the ones I like and think I could maybe do. There were all of these reasons why I probably didn't want to try this song or that song or this song or that song i know let me let me do i'll meet you halfway i can probably do that you know and in a way it's like i'm meeting their meeting the list halfway too <laughs> when mr cassidy passed on um that was the time 
to try absolutely the most intimidating song on the list. Why? Because it was their number one hit. <laughs> it was their song that, that people who weren't even fans of theirs knew. It was the song that found its way into other TV shows and movies and stuff. And if he had a legacy based on songs from that show, when he was no longer with us, it seemed like if ever there was going to be a time to do a song that was like a tribute to him. There needed to be, I needed to do um, something that was a tribute to to Mr. Cassidy and all he had achieved and all he had meant to this huge, huge fan base of his. Obviously, you know, um, the, the one or two people who listen to my, to my little covers too. But, you know, I, I wanted to do some sort of tribute to him and I couldn't imagine doing any other song as the tribute. He had a certain je ne sais quoi that he brought to everything. His singing voice, he had a kind of a smooth, caramel kind of quality in his voice, you know. And he, I understand, he didn't, he didn't particularly like it himself. He really wanted to sound like a acid rocker or something, you know. <laughs> I mean, according to him in his, in his uh, autobio, but, I mean, you know, he was the perfect guy for the perfect, basically, set of songs, library of songs, to be the perfect musical vehicle for that show, for their storylines. And yeah, that was why I chose that song for that occasion. And that was why I didn't do it before then. Hey guys, just a little tribute to David Cassidy, whom we lost um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, rest in peace, David. I'm sleeping and right in the middle of a good dream And all at once I wake up from something that keeps knocking at my brain Before I go insane I hold my pillow to my head And spring up in my bed screaming out the words I dread I think I love you This morning I woke up with this feeling I didn't know how to deal with And so I just decided to myself You felt that was, as you said, just the most appropriate tribute for him? Yeah, well, him. I mean, before then, again, since it was such a big hit And since, you know, wow, you don't sound like You're not doing it like he did it or uh, You know, it was intimidating to me Not so much that people would mm. say that But that I would feel that way It was that... It was intimidating to me to try to do it, but I just I I pushed past that feeling to to do that mm. as um as a tribute in that yeah. moment. Didn't you consider twenty four hours a day as a tribute to him at that time? Yeah. Oh no, I absolutely had to do that song. I had to do twenty four hours a day. Um, at, again, every every song presents a challenge. Some of the challenge with twenty four hours a day is the repetition. Like a lot of stuff goes, you know, repeats a lot, but every time you come by this same thing as before, you know, you want to, you want to feel something a little different. You want to give it something a little different. And that was the, that was the challenge I felt going into that one. Um, mm. And it was fun. It was fun trying it. And I, I, I like to think I did a reasonably good job. You did a good job. Usually if I don't hate it, 
upon listening to it a hundred times in the edit, that means I probably did okay. <laughs> and I know I loved you. And you loved me too. But the temptation for more than me for moving on was there. You would like the sunshine. Sunshine comes and goes How was I to know that I would stay And you'd be the one to go Suzanne Crow had just passed on At that point I had a really, a really long list of uh, Partridge Family songs I hadn't tried yet and I felt a need to do a little tribute to her. You know, I think she and uh, Brian Forster got a little bit of a short shrift on the show because their parts were so minimal, you know, and maybe if the show had gone on a, a, a couple, more, two, three more years, they would have probably had bigger parts. And I did write a little blurb about um, how Mr. Cassidy had spent the whole second verse serenading you know, little Miss Crow, as an adoring eldest brother might, which meant tons of extra stream, uh, tons of extra screen time for little Tracy Partridge, making it essentially Tracy's song. And from some of the comments I, I got on that uh, post, I think there was, there was general agreement that that was a good choice. Through your songs, through doing these, these covers, what's, it's the audience, the demographic that you're hoping to reach to educate in many ways people about the music which has been lost. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no pressure there. Let's see. Um, so, so here's the thing. You're framing it in a way that makes it sound like I have a mission. And I like the idea that I have a mission. I don't know if I really do, though. I'm I'm the sort of person who would of course <laughs> enjoy have enjoy the feeling of having a mission, you know. But it's mostly really I feel this song for this time. And some of it is I think I might be ready for this challenge. Uh the one I the one I did recently was um sorry, I'm blanking. I'm on the road. I'm on the road. Yes. Right, thank you. <laughs> um that that was a daunting challenge at first anyway. I mean, I think I think it went okay. And but um what was daunting about it is it's deceptively sophisticated. That song has got all these meter changes, you know. Okay, we're in 4/4, four, four, now we're in now we're in either 7/4 or 3/4, you know, now we're in 7/8. Oh, now we're in 4/4 four, four again. <laughs> a lot of a lot of that going on and it also had the feeling of you know actually being on the road like you're traveling around and you know and i think it was designed to feel that way and in, and in the video you see these montages of the bus going here and there and whatnot and i had that little um either fun or crazy inspiration to infuse infuse the song with a little bit of influence from uh from mr j.s bach Oh, you know what else? I sat down and I wrote out the words. One of my first things I do when I go to cover a song is I write, I write out the words, you know, in notepad. 
And <clears throat> that's when I started to realize there were all these meter changes. Well, wait, this is in 3-4, this is in 7-8, this is in 4-4. Four, four. How am I going to keep track of all this? The way they constructed their songs um, for the show was even the most complicated ones sounded simple. Do, 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 da, na, na, na. But that's 7-4. Like, do, 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 da, na, 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 do, 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 like that. And it never occurred to me to think of that until I was looking at it, listening to it, analyzing it, and writing out the words. Isn't that interesting? In- interesting. That is fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. So my lyrics sheet, yeah. my, my lyrics notepad file is like a cheat sheet that I read off of. I have it over here on this PC when I'm, when I'm yeah. recording. So like the mic is here and I'm usually facing kind of this way to the camera or this way to the cheat sheet, right? Mm. And it works pretty well if, if it's a duet. You know, the gal is on the other side of the split screen and I'm singing my heart out to my cheat sheet over here. But then when you do the split screen, it looks like, you know, uh, Nelson Eddy and Jeanette McDonald singing their hearts out to each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. The inspiration was partly that I really liked the song, but I always really liked the song because I used to sing that song when I was a little kid. It was also, I think I might be able to tackle the challenge of all of this meter changing and you know and other stuff going on in the song where did you learn all this musical production technology is it all self-taught um yeah you know see um it's kind of the same way i start i started out learning piano um i started out learning piano by messing around with songs as a six-year-old kid and then i took piano lessons (laughs) Um, and I took piano lessons from a teacher who was hard to, hard to study with. Um, I shouldn't blame her too much though, because since I didn't have a piano to practice on, I was never prepared. And so that was, (laughs) and that was what happened in the lesson. I wasn't prepared and she would chide me for not being prepared. Then I would steal time. Is steal a good word? Yes, I'll say I'll say steal time on pianos whenever I was in a room which happened to have a piano and it was empty and it was free and I would sit there and try and reconstruct my lesson since I wouldn't have my book with me at all times, you know, or I would mess around with some song that I'd heard. I was pretty good at picking things up by ear. So I took I took lessons with this lady, um, and I think I tried her patience the entire time. Two years into it, 
I still didn't have a piano to practice on. I had one of those air, electric air reed organs. So that's what I would sometimes uh, try and practice my lessons on. It would have a range like from here to here, you know, as opposed to the seven octaves you normally have on a piano. So I was never really ready. So I quit. And a few, a couple years later, some people I was hanging out with, we, we formed a little garage band. <laughs> <laughs> And we um, were messing around with various songs, at, uh, mostly at this one kid's house who had a piano. Uh, we had a piano in our house, too. You know, this was, this again, a couple years later, a few years later. One of the people in this band um, discovered this teacher who would go around and show, well, give lessons, you know. He, she, she would go to people's homes and teach them lessons out of out of these John Thompson books. The main friend who was, you know, whose house we normally practiced at, he signed up. This other friend of ours also signed up who was in this band. So there was this little joiner culture forming around signing up for lessons with this teacher. <laughs> I went ahead and signed up too. Seemed like potentially a good idea. And it was like, well, what could it hurt? How how you know how bad could it be? probably couldn't be any worse than the last time with the other teacher and no piano to practice on. So then I took lessons from her. It went reasonably well. I split my time between the lessons, content, stuff that I'd read off of sheet music, and stuff that I would learn by ear, you know, messing around. And sometimes I would learn something from like a book of pop songs. There was this one series called 70 for the 70s that were that was hugely popular back in the day. So I would learn the, the basic structure of a song from the sheet music, and then, then I'd be bored with how they had it arranged, and so I'd mess around with it. So that is, that is basically how I learned piano. I went on from there later to have a years-long misadventure in uh, classical piano. I mean, I think it makes a pretty interesting story. It has nothing whatsoever to do with uh, David Cassidy or the Partridge family, except for the very special episode where he became fascinated with the music of one Ludwig von Beethoven and where he um, was learning to compose like him or trying to. Keith comes to the revelation that he'd rather be a first-rate Partridge than a third-rate Beethoven. I came to a very similar revelation by the end of my classical training. Uh, I didn't study classical piano for anywhere near as long as Billy Joel did. Um, It was a few years, not like dozens of years or anything. I did rather prefer the idea of being a first-rate me than, you know, over trying to be a third or fifth-rate Horowitz. I, I I guess you could say it came full circle. Had I not... Had I not seen that episode, I wouldn't have um, such a handy, <laughs> such a handy mm-hmm. lexicon for referring to what the experience was like. I also liken yes. it to Icarus and Daedalus, where you know <clears throat> he's 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 flying and he's with these wax wings. He gets a little too close to the sun, and then he comes hurtling back down to earth. Only in in my case, I came hurtling back down to earth, basically caught in the in the loving arms of Hall and Oates and Elton John and Billy Joel. <laughs> yes. The, and Keith Partridge. 
I was already deep into considering working on this song, Walking in the Rain, when Ronnie Spector died, but mainly because I was so intrigued with how the Partridge Family video of that song starts out, with Keith walking onto a stage in front of a, at the end of an outdoor swimming pool uh, from a club room about 50 feet behind the stage at the other end of the pool, carrying a mic that's wired back to the club room, and gracefully wrangling the cord as he walks towards the stage. Back then, we didn't have the ability to re-watch anything, so by the time anyone would have said, hey, why is he the only one wired back to that faraway room with no visibility to the stage, they had already cut to the whole, the whole family singing. I learned while I was working on my cover that this, that this was one of Miss Spector's huge hit songs with the legendary Ronettes. I don't really do as much band following as you might expect a musician would, uh, so I often find myself saying, who's that, when, some, when somebody famous is mentioned. And as far as Miss Spector, I remember her from the Take Me Home Tonight video, where the guy in the video says, just like Ronnie says, and the, a gal in the video sings, Be My Little Baby. It turns out that's Ronnie Spector, and that's a callback to a, a, a big-time famous Ronette song you know, she, that she and they had a huge hit with. I didn't really know any of that. It made sense, once I did know this information, to add Miss Spector's name to the title of my video. I'll be certain I heard God by the things like to do. Like walking in the rain. Like walking in the rain. And wishing on a star. Working on a groovy thing, Neil Sadaka, The Fifth Dimension, and Sarah Joy. Mr. Sadaka, of course, being the songwriting powerhouse who wrote, who wrote and first performed this great song, along with others used in the Partridge family, like Breaking Up is Hard to Do, and Miss Joy, my collab partner in this song, who's also a brilliant young classical and crossover composer, songwriter, cellist, and singer, embarking on a whirlwind career recording, teaching, and performing. Yeah, what she hasn't, what she doesn't do probably hasn't been done. <laughs> when I saw you, I knew that I was gonna love you. And every day I thought of how I'm gonna love you. Now you're here next to me And ecstasy is a reality I feel good when you are near I'm alive cause you are here Working on a groovy thing And where can people find not only the Partridge family and David Cassidy music, but your covers from other artists such as Billy Joel. The channel name is Dr. Quizzler. It's D-R-Q-U-I-Z-Z-L-E-R. -Z -Z is oh, that a name? nod to something else in your life? Oh, qu the Quizzler part came first. I have a knack for asking and getting answers to annoying questions. I like to call them annoying questions. <laughs> And I think they can be annoying questions or nagging questions, kind of like Columbo, you know? Remember on that show, yeah. he, there was always one more thing? 
there was Just there was one more thing. there was one more thing, and the person he was talking with was almost always the chief suspect trying to get rid of him. So the one more thing, you know, there's one more thing, sir, and he's like, they're like, oh, what is it now? <laughs> what is it now, Lieutenant? You know that sort of thing. Well, I I have I have a knack for doing that too when it comes to figuring out stuff, figuring out how to do stuff, figuring out how to um, get from here to there. Sometimes you you got to ask somebody something, and sometimes it's an annoying question. So I'm, I'm I'm pretty good at that. I'm also pretty good at asking a question that sparks a huge conversation or a dialogue. The so the name Quizzler. The, there was a there was an ad campaign prevalent at the time for uh, these licorices called Twizzler. They they would say you know if you're hanging around you might as well have you know a tongue twizzling Twizzler around. Like they would say that, you know, and that slogan was kind of floating around in the back of my mind, and I just I just substituted the the a QU for the TW because I ask annoying questions. I'm curious to to a fault sometimes and i also kind of was thinking at one point that a character based on this whole idea would make an interesting gotham city villain at, at a certain point i started messing around with this music stuff it came time to call it something okay well let's call it quizzler well no i'm already kind of using that <laughs> can't really use that for this because i'm already that here I, what I did was I I added I added the the dr mainly because I was thinking about what my music career would probably have been like had I continued uh, pursuing it. I tried one or two other things, and one of those other things worked out as a career, uh, which had been a hobby. The thing that was a hobby became a career over time, and the thing that had been a career pursuit you know, then kind of became more of a hobby. So I started thinking, well, if I if I had stuck with this whole music academia thing, especially classical music, I could do pop and probably not have to have mentors or teachers for too long. I mean, you know, mentor off people one way by listening to their work, but not like, you know, attending classes and studying with somebody and practicing five hours a day in some dank practice room, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for years on end. <laughs> but as far as steady work, I would probably have needed to ride the academia train all the way to the station. And I probably would have had to, um, and I probably would have enjoyed doing it too, because I, I really am a big fan of music theory. I'm a big, I think, music theory nerd. So when... When when thing when things on this list tickle by music theory fancy, I end up doing them. <laughs> when things are are more kind of plain and simple, and there's no real subtext beneath it, I sometimes put them off because I don't really want to do something if the if if there isn't a, a a feeling behind doing it. But as far as as far as the steady work thing, I probably would have had to be I probably would have become a music theory professor with a doctorate so that I could be tenured, that would have been who who I would be like now, this point in that timeline. So I see the name Dr. Quizzler as kind of a, an acknowledgement of um of who of who that version of professional me would have been. 
anything tickles my music theory fancy, I see that as a Dr. Quizzler thing. This looks like a job for Dr. Quizzler. You like that, you know? Now, listen, I just wanted to ask you about another song, Somebody Wants to Love You, but you have an interesting observation, which I wonder if you can share with us. Oh, man. Um, of, the, of the symbolism of this song. Oh, and the reality of the price people pay for fame. Right, because that's the one where the girls are chasing him. Such a cool episode, huh? And it mirrors, mm. mirrors David Cassidy's real life, only it's a lot more kind of... It's like a sanitized version. <laughs> all, we want are your, all we want is your autograph, <laughs> Mr. Partridge. <laughs> that's why we're camping out in front of your house. <laughs> well, um... Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, it was mm. it was interesting. Um, I I wonder how how it came about that there was this song in their pile that that so closely had potential to speak to what his what what Mr. Cassidy's real life was actually like at the time. And it was interesting hearing hearing him sing those words. Yeah, yeah. I I I did think a lot about that. You know, when I was when I was working on the cover. So try to see. It's got to be when you turn your back on love, you miss the opportunity. Then once again, you're at a dead end, and you don't know where to turn without a friend. Hey, stop, stop, and look around. Somebody wants to love you. Stop, stop, and turn around. Somebody wants to love you. Somebody wants to love you. Love you. I know there was sure. a couple of song, songs in there on your on your channel which you've covered, uh -huh. um, which were written by Mike Appel, Umbrella Man. Oh, <laughs> I love that song, and it was yeah. so fun. It was fun doing that. Yeah, and, uh, when Mike Appel came on to the podcast to talk about writing the five songs that he did for the Partridge family, uh -huh. it was just fascinating how he came to write them, and um, and Umbrella Man was. One of his favorites. Oh, all of my videos are experiments. I'm learning concepts, playing around with ideas, trying to figure out how how to arrange things, and then trying to figure out how to present them as as videos. Um, and early on, again with the miming, that was that was a big component. And one thing that happened with miming was uh, sync issues were a lot more difficult. Because, you know, it wasn't the same event. Like, you know, you play the thing, you're recording the thing, and then all you got to do is sync them. Um, you don't really have that with, with miming. You, you play the thing, and then you're miming the thing, trying to match what you did when you were playing it. And the same with some of the singing in this. One day, maybe I'll take another run at this, at this song, using what I've learned since then. But I do think it's, it's pretty fun to watch. As it as it is from back then, it's about six years old now, I think. Also, I pitched my voice timbre a little bit for a dusky flavor to match a little more of what Mr. Cassidy was doing um, to create the mood at the beginning of the song. Like now, when I now when I do a song video, I think I naturally sound a little more dusky because I'm, I'm just older. He was in his early twenties and he already had that you know sophisticated sound that could be dusky and creamy and kind of caramelly like he was really up there when it came to doing one-of-a-kind vocals you 
nights of love have come and gone. I can love you more. That's all behind us, girl. I know we can get it on. We can get it on. I want your love to be always close at hand. Your heaven sent to me. We can make it, girl. I know we can. Hey, I'll be your. Anyway, I wondered what your next plans are for the, your next Partridge Family songs for your catalogue. I think I got about maybe ten still on the list. That uh, oh, she'd rather have the rain. That's a nice one. Yeah, I want to try that. Um, you're always on my mind. That's one I haven't done. There's also listen to the sound. Oh yeah. Yeah, Listen to the Sound is one of my favorite ones. I do I have it in here? I should if I don't. It's kind of it's kind of a cool sound, a uh, cool song even though it's kind of simple. One day while sitting around the lunch table with my roommate and our non-music student friends, for reasons I don't recall, in the middle of a conversation we were having about who knows what, I interjected a few bars of Listen to the Sound, you know, the chorus into the conversation. As I was singing it, of course, I was also hearing the the accompaniment in my head, and of course, probably nobody else was hearing it. Uh, my friends looked at me as if I had just landed from space, and I suddenly felt like like that weird guy who sings. This was my first time ever singing amongst this group, and I think they were at least a little impressed. But the attention felt uncomfortable, for me anyway. Perhaps an indication that performing really wasn't for me, uh, which is what I later concluded. So after I had sung the line, you know, can't you hear him singing? Can't you hear him singing? I sang that, you know, the two times it comes up in the chorus. Can't you hear him singing? And I noticed, can't you hear um singing? Sounds like can't you hear I'm singing? And I wanted to make sure it was clear what, what the lyric actually actually was. Uh, also, while I was singing that, I was doing what I typically did when I sang a lot of songs like that, particularly the ones with David Cassidy, where I had seen him sing them on television. I tended to mimic that kind of cool-looking, squinty, far-off look that he got in his, in his eyes, on his face, like when he sang. I tended to do that too, so, you know, I'm sure I was doing that as I was singing these, this line. But again, uncomfortable with the sudden, weird, boy, look at him, attention. <laughs> I picked up a salt shaker in the middle of the table. I peered deeply into it and sang, you know, sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. As if I was addressing Lilliputians inside the salt shaker, uh, which got a big and very welcome tension-breaking laugh around the table. And next thing I knew, uh, next thing we knew, our, our conversation was resuming as normal. But would you have liked to, in a perfect world, have perhaps worked in record production? Um, I don't know. I mean, when I was majoring in music, when I was pursuing that as a career, um, I was only thinking in terms of steady work. I was not thinking in terms of anything akin to, like, stardom or any of that stuff. Um, I studied piano and oboe formally, and I was thinking about maybe, uh, maybe if the oboe worked out, you know, looking, looking for like an orchestra gig or something. 
Or maybe if the piano worked out again, you know, probably finding some gig at a school or something. Sum up for me how important the Partridge Family music is to you. It is a very big part of the soundtrack of my life, per se. I have I have moods where I think of this or that song from that show. I have times when when songs will just pop into my head, and then next thing I know, I'm thinking about this or that episode that had this or that song in it. During the same period, I was listening to the Partridge Family and watching the show and ad- and avidly following it. I was also following the Jackson 5. They had a cartoon show out that would come on Saturday mornings, which I would watch. I was quite devoted. I, I definitely watched it. And, and, and those weren't the same people performing those roles in the, in the, in the cartoon. But, um, but the song breaks were them. The high-level stories were kind of them. So I'd follow them at the same time. And I also followed the Osmond brothers to a little lesser extent. They had a, sh- a cartoon show that came out after the Jackson 5. You know, the same company did both. Those were big influences, particularly particularly the Jackson 5 and the Partridge Family. Uh, growing up, I had a ton of those Jackson 5 albums. They got tons and tons of airplay on the radio stations my family and I listened to. And if a new song would come out, I'd gravitate towards towards learning it or, you know, maybe just kind of singing along with it or whatever. I'd, I'd get the album, you know, and, and sing with it and spend hours and hours with it. I didn't have quite that relationship with the Partridge Family catalog. I did have, a, I did have two or three of their albums from the show. My relationship with their songs came mostly directly from the show. But um, it meant a lot to me, and I think it still does. And and it's it's a little weird to have a to have a close connection to a show that dates back so far. But I do have I do have connections to other other old shows as well. But because this one was such a big music thing, it's different. And the, the music has lasted, and you're continuing to make sure that it does last, and that's that's good. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope it's I, I hope it's contributing something. I mean, mainly I just I I kind of get an urge to work on something and I do it and then I post it. I don't really think about far-reaching implications of posting it, but I I always just figure, you know, hopefully if I like it, if I like how it turned out, then you know maybe one or two other people will like it too. And so far so good as far as that. You know, some you know some people have gravitated to it. Well, check it out, everybody. Dr. Quizler on YouTube. Yeah, we'd love to have you on the Dr. Quizler channel. <laughs> I've enjoyed our consultation, Doctor. It's been fascinating. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Predictable as ever, Doctor. <laughs> yes, thank you very much for seeing me, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, I've enjoyed it as well. Um, you it's know. been great. I've loved hearing your stories and how the music came to be and how much music is a part of your life and and what you're doing and I think what you're doing to uphold the Partridge family legacy you know needs to be recognized oh well thank you thank you so much for all your time okay well thank you thank you for having me remember to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts from so you will be among the first to know when new episodes are released Until we connect again, take care.